Your attention, please. please. Listening to the AMPM podcast may cause recurring revenue streams and unfair, unfair advantages over your competitors. Other side effects may include better wallets, fired bosses, and longer vacations. Listen at your own risk. Here's your host, seven-figure entrepreneur and online marketing madman, Manny Coates. Manny Coates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the AMPM podcast. My name is Manny Coates, and I will be your host. And this is the show where we discuss all things Amazon Private Label and how to generate recurring revenue streams 24 hours per day during the AM and the PM, hence the name of the show. Get it? AM, PM podcast. As a matter of fact, I was out shopping for a new mattress. After all, outside of my office chair, that mattress will be the second most used thing in my day-to-day life, right? Probably the same with you guys. While I was testing out the firmness of mattresses, I was making money. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hey, everybody. I am here with Manuel Bachvar, or Manu, as you like to be called. How are you doing? How good. A little tired over here, but uh, other than that, I'm perfect. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I appreciate you coming on. I, it's what, five in the morning there right now? Five in the morning, yeah. Yeah, so you got up early just to make the podcast. So yeah, we really appreciate that. Got to set priorities, that's for sure. I know, right? You got to do it. So perfect. Well, you are an entrepreneur on many levels. You sell on Amazon, you sell on e-commerce, or just e-com in general. You recently sold a passive income business that you've got for 300 grand, you said. You're actively working on your import dojo business. You have Asia Invest. I mean, the list goes on and on. You sound like a version of me with different businesses. So, or I sound like a version of you, I guess we could say. So that's really cool. Tell us anything that I, I missed. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, originally from, from Austria, but I've been living in, in Asia for the last 13 years now. Um, I started out actually working um, in a corporate world. I worked for a big retailer in Europe as a product manager in Hong Kong. So I was dealing a lot with manufacturers in China, um, developing assortments, price negotiation, uh, going on to all the shows in Asia, and then eventually started out building my own company. Uh, started with a small company that served to, to retailers. So I was a manufacturer based in China or a trading company, if you want. And um, yeah, from there on, got really interested in e-commerce, started building one brand and the other brand and import dojo, then started to help people sourcing with Asia Invests. And uh, yeah, as you said, the list goes on. I can barely keep track of everything, uh, but really into e-commerce. So um, that's probably, I guess, about me. <laughs> Good. Cool. Are you still doing a lot of business yourself selling on Amazon via private label? Uh, I, st- I do have two brands on Amazon. One I can't really mention that is doing about 60 to 70,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And the other brand that I, frankly speaking, that I really... Uh, neglected in the last two years because of import dojo and asia invest that is not doing so well currently five items uh doing about 10 to twenty thousand a month okay so you're just about clipping you know clipping over that hundred thousand six figure mark per month just on the fba side you're a seven figure seller overall with all of your businesses though is that right i would say that i mean i do have my own um shopify stores and e-commerce sites also so all in all i'd, I'd say it'd be 200 200 a month Okay. Awesome. So your expertise, as far as I understand it, is sourcing from China. Is that right? I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I have a lot of questions for you then. <laughs> Go ahead. I, even when I think I've got it mastered and figured out, 
I get thrown for, I get thrown a curveball and I'm like, oh, how do I handle this? So I want to kind of gear this towards everybody. And I know you and I've talked about some questions and, and I've got some, some that you haven't heard. I think you might not have heard, but we're going to get through them. So if you're ready, I'm going to start firing these things off at you. Fire away. Fire away. Uh, actually, first, before we get into that, you said you have two products that you're selling right now, private label. How many ASINs? Is it just the two ASINs? Uh, no, it's actually four ASINs and five variations. So okay. altogether, it's five products okay. on one brand, and the other brand has about 15 ASINs. Okay. How many hours a day do you work? Anywhere from zero to 10. <laughs> okay, zero. That'd be a good day. That's when you just take okay. off and relax. Uh, I try once a week at least, or twice a week. All right, cool. So let's get into the questions here. Scams, okay? That's one of the big things everybody's always talking about. They're about to send money, a deposit overseas to a company they've never met, probably never picked up a phone and talked to. It's just all been through communication, through Skype or through some kind of a chat. What would be some common scams for the new seller to avoid? I guess the most common scam is the bank account scam. So, you know, you speak to a supplier for a while, you get comfortable with him. And all of a sudden, he sends you the invoice with a bank account or a bank name, uh, bank account holder name that is completely different than the actual name. Um, I just saw recently in a Facebook group a guy who said he got an invoice and the bank account was in Africa. So that's an obvious red flag. Um, but even so, I mean, many suppliers in, in China, they have banks in Hong Kong um, because of the, the financial transactions. It's a, it's a lot easier through Hong Kong. So um, I wouldn't be worried if the bank account is in Hong Kong, but if the name of the company does not match up with the, the company that I'm speaking with, that's a bit of a red flag. Um, another scam is probably um, charging high fees for samples, um, 200 300 $400, or, you know, just... Uh, pushing it out like uh, they're not really replying, but they're asking you for payments on, on samples, for example. Those could be two obvious reasons. So you got to do your vetting in the beginning right away um, with a set of questions, for example. What would be a typical fee to charge for a sample? Let's say the sample normally is $10. Mm. That's what you're ordering. What should you expect to pay? I could, I would say usually 50 to $100 is reasonable, including the uh, logistic freight costs. Um, but if any, if someone's charging two hundred, three hundred dollars, I mean that's just um, ridiculous. But fifty to hundred, it's not really the actual cost uh, that that they want to check on your side because they want to check if you if you're serious as well. You know, if you're not just someone who's collecting sample from a lot of suppliers. So see that fifty to hundred dollars as an investment uh, into your business. Okay, and going back to the bank, if you've already started doing business with somebody and then they do change the bank account later, they say, hey, we're changing our bank. From this bank to this bank would you have mm -hmm. any issues with that as long as the the company name stays the same as long as the company name stays the same of there or if there is a reasonable explanation like for example um i don't know they moved factories for example or they moved the, to a different bank but it's as long as the bank account name stays the same i'm happy with that okay awesome any other scams other than those two uh, those are the two two most common scams uh, i mean the the companies if, if you're sourcing, if you're a private label guy and you source primarily, let's say, on Alibaba or Global Sources because you can't make it out to the shows in Asia, um, Alibaba and Global Sources is doing a lot these days on getting all the suppliers really um, vetted in the front already. So they check their business registration, they call the companies, sometimes they even head over to those factories uh, to check if they really exist. So they're doing a lot of work to, to really weed out the, the scammers. Okay. Um, so it's not like three, four years ago. Um, but it could still happen, sure. 
Okay. Should people use the trade assurance that Alibaba offers? If they can, uh, if they can, they would, uh, I would, I mean, I personally recommend to, to at least once go over to China or maybe there's some shows over in, in the U S where a lot of Chinese or Asian manufacturers exhibit. So if you have the chance, go to the shows because you really see that person in, you see him in person, you know, you get a, you can build a relationship, you get a better feeling, you see even products or samples. So it makes a lot of sense to go to the shows. Okay. You mentioned a couple sourcing sites, including Alibaba. Are you familiar with 1688.com? Uh, yes. Um, personally, I don't really use any of them because I've been here <laughs> for so long, so I have a lot of contacts. But 1688 is, is a good source if you're really looking for those products that you can't find on Alibaba or Global Sources or if you're looking for really, really cheap prices. But be aware that the quality of those suppliers on, on 1688 is not always the best, to be honest. Okay. How can you tell if it's going to be a good quality supplier or not? Um, well, it depends on, on the communication. So for me, it's all really about the communication. If he responds to my questions, if he's, uh, you know, ambitious or um, uh, proactive to really respond to all my questions, to my set of questions and not, you know, just reply to maybe two out of five questions, um, that really already signs that tell me, okay, he's either just in for the bigger clients or he doesn't really care about me. So, you know, imagine if, if he misses out on a couple of questions at the beginning, how difficult it will be if I eventually place an order with him. So I move away from these people right away. Okay. Going back a little bit to the, the scam stuff, not that this would be a scam, but this has happened to us. How do you protect yourself against a supplier who has your deposit? Okay. And they've promised a specific delivery date. They've gone beyond this at this point. What should you do, first of all? And second of all, is there something you can do proactively that actually protects you? And should you ever get your money back or go with it? So definitely never um, make a deposit of 100%. Always have 30% deposit and 70%. And that's the most important part after the inspection. Always have an inspection. I don't understand why some people, um, they do first time business with China, maybe, or even they've been working with factories for a year and they never have inspection. They just ask the suppliers to take some photos of the cartons. And obviously the supplier can take photos of the best cartons and the best samples that they have in hand during the production. So always have inspections by third parties. They start from anywhere from $100 up to $500, $600, depending on the order quantity you have, but um, always do inspections. And once the inspection is passed, then you can release the 70% to the supplier. Now, if uh, you can also protect, that's a safety net, but you can also protect, let's say your 30%, um, uh, sorry, the, the rest of the money by into, uh, integrating terms in your contract. So when I place uh, an order to a factory, I usually have a, a, a very simple order sheet and that has three main terms in it. First of all, if the inspection is failed, he has to rework until I'm satisfied and uh, he has to pay for the reinspection. Now, obviously, if there's just some minor issues during the inspection, I will release the shipment and make the deposit, uh, the, sorry, the 70% uh, rest payment. But if there's some major issues, like, you know, completely different color or lots of scratches, I will ask him to rework and he has to do the reinspection. Otherwise, I won't pay him uh, the 70%. The second term I mentioned is that um, if the shipment is, is very late, Let's say I'm, uh, I'm flexible, you know, if he's like seven to 10 days late, I would say, um, okay, it's not a problem. But if he's going over 10 or 14 days, 
I will usually charge 0.5% penalty on the shipment uh, value. Now, if it's 20 days, it's 0.75% and so on. And the third term would be uh, to protect yourself or to protect your investment, to protect your uh, products would be to, to ask him that uh, if the defect rate or return rate from customers, from Amazon uh, customers is over, let's say 6%, I would ask him to replace those uh, defect products coming in on my next order. So let's say I have 50 defect products, I will ask him to replace them uh, on my reorder with him. So those are three terms I usually include in my contract. Okay. Yeah, I, I have some of those similar terms. I have with my suppliers, any actually any returns I get that are for damaged products from Amazon where it's labeled damaged in some way, they give me credits. And on some of them, I just now been getting a 1% overage just to cover mm. defects. Mm. I guess if you're getting more than a certain percentage, you probably need to be beefing up your, your inspections and figuring out what's going on in that scenario anyways. So those are really good tips. Going back though, to your percentages that you charge the penalties, if they're over a certain time, how long will you go before you finally say, look, enough is enough. Let's cancel this thing. I mean, you don't keep adding, you know, a quarter percent indefinitely, mm. right? Uh, definitely not, definitely not going to do that. So, um, if we're dragging on for a month, six weeks, uh, I'd be I'd be trying to get at least my deposit back, like thirty percent, which will be difficult unless you have an escrow or, for example, a letter of credit payment. So it will be difficult to get thirty percent back. But um, just recently, for example, not sure if you heard of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency yeah. inspections in China. So one of my products is now delayed for seven weeks. Nothing I can do here. You know, um, I need the product. I know these inspections are happening in China right now. So I can't really blame the supplier. I can blame him for not being uh, compliant in the first place. You know, that's why he's uh, in such a delay because the the, uh, the agency is not releasing my shipment or they're not letting the factory start uh, uh, start the production again. Mm -hmm. So I could blame him for that, but you know, it's his hands are tied in some ways. Also, um, China is a bit corrupt <laughs> in a way sometimes. So if you don't pay right away, um, some of these agencies. They, they do work with under table money. So it's difficult to, you know, to say in this point uh, at this place, okay, it's seven weeks, you owe me this much money. In that case, for example, I would say, um, okay, I understand. Let's try to keep, uh, let's try to hit a new shipment window, let's say um, uh, middle of October. And then I'm reasonable, you know, I won't even ask for the penalty fee because in this case, I know it's going on. Uh, okay. so these things are happening. And the penalty fee is that usually charged as a discount? to the remaining 70% or is it a credit for a future order? How do you do that? Um, I would, I would see, it depends on the supplier. I would either uh, discount the remaining value of the order mm -hmm. that I still have to pay, or I would ask him to add the percentage in free units on top of my order. Okay. So let's say I have a thousand units um, and I don't know, we've hit 4% penalty. I would ask him maybe to add 40 units for free. Okay. Got it. Getting to that point, requires you to have negotiated some really good pricing. Can you share any top negotiating tips that you use when you're uh, negotiating with these suppliers? Um, I use my common negotiating tips. So when I initially start out with a new supplier, I would, I would have a, a target pr price in mind, but I wouldn't really, <clears throat> I wouldn't be very strict with my target price. Now I don't really do a lot of negotiation on my first round. I keep my uh, lever for, for later. So usually when I, 
place the order, um, I would then really go into negotiation. I would either tell him, look, I have three other suppliers on hand, but I like yours the most, uh, your item. I'm looking for this and this price. Can you meet it or not? You know, he, he's already smelling the money. So at this point, they usually, okay, we can do, for example, 5% lower than we originally quoted. Another way would be to initially ask for three different quantities. Let's say I already want to order 1,000 pieces. I would still ask the supplier to quote me 1,000, 2,000, and 3,000. <clears> Excuse me. Now let's say the 1,000 unit price is $5, and the 3,000 unit price is $4, right? So I would eventually go in <clears throat> and tell the supplier, all right, look, I'm ready to place the order. Uh, I want to do 1,000 units. I, I know the price for 1,000 units is $5, but I'm, you know, I really need your support here. This is our first order, cooperation, yada, yada. And um, I'm looking for a price of 420, for example, because I already know the range that he can give me, right? So maybe he's not giving me 420, but again, he's smelling the money, you know, he's ready to, um, to work with me. So maybe he gives me $4.65 or $4.70, and I still save 30 cents. So this is one way, um, another way that I usually use um, negotiation also on, on packaging. I mean, many of the suppliers in China, they still work a lot with big retailers. So they're, they're used to getting, they're used to quoting prices in color box packaging. Uh, you know, four color box. Um, but if you're just starting out, if you have a small quantity, I would use, I would actually ask the supplier to to quote in a white box, just uh, my sticker and the barcode on it. And then they usually say, okay, we can either lower the quantity or uh, we can give you a better price if you just want a white box. So yeah, these are three things I use commonly. Okay, cool. How do you know if you're getting the best price? Because for example, if they say you're getting the best price we've we've ever given any of our customers, any way to kind of verify that in any way? I heard that a lot. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I, I guess for me, it's the experience because I've been here so long. Um, but then again, people can also reference, for example, raw material prices. Um, if your product is made 90% out of plastic and you look at raw material prices and you know the weight of your material, I mean, that's, that would be one way to, to check. Um, if you've been working with a factory for a very long time, you can actually ask them for a BOM, a bill of material, which means he will send you uh, the material list and the price breakdown of the cable, the coating, um, the material itself, the weight. And then, you know, I'm happy if the supplier makes some money. Uh, he should be able to make some margin. Uh, he needs to pay his workers. He needs to make some profit. I'm okay with that. Um, so if he puts a margin on top of the BOM, uh, let's say the actual raw material price, including the assembly would be $4 and he charges me $5. I'm happy with that, you know, but if he charges me $8, I'm not happy with that. So, uh, another way would be to ask for a bill of material, but that really usually happens only if you've been working with a supplier for a long time, because they usually don't want to, uh, expose their uh, material costs. Okay. That's great. I, I never heard of a BOM, a build of material. Mm. So that's cool. That's a nugget right there. I love that. So what are warning signs that tell you whether a supplier that you're looking for is a good supplier or a bad supplier? Is there anything you've seen that stands out? Um, there's, I mean, obvious warning signs are the scam signs that we talked about earlier, but mm. I mean, there, the suppliers have positive and, and negative traits. Maybe, I mean, positive trait for me is if he's proactive, you know, um, is he responding in a timely manner? Is he responding in 24 hours or in 76 hours? Mm -hmm. um, is he proactively offering me different items also, you know? 
um, maybe I'm not happy with the item and I don't respond to his initial uh, offering. You know, good suppliers, they, they send you new items every two or four weeks, for example. Um, does he maybe point out things that you missed or that you're not aware of? For example, if I missed some, some labeling on the packaging or if I missed to input the insert card, you know, does he reach out to me and say, hey, dude, you forgot to add this because this is really important or mm. little things like the made in China under, under, bar, under the barcode or on the packaging. Um, you know, generally, is he communicative? Is he proactively working towards our relationship? These are good things um, that I look for in a supplier. Bad things are obviously, um, yeah, if he's just asking for, for money, does he reply my emails very late? Um, is he finding excuses regarding our projects, you know, all oh, the workers have come back late or, you know, the inspections or, you know, if he's just looking for excuses, then these are obviously bad signs in, in a supplier. Okay, that's great. So you said earlier you should visit China if you get a chance. Okay. Mm. I, I've been to China. It was drastically different than California, let's just say. So <laughs> any culture tips and advice, any business trip advice, things for people that have no idea other than they, you know, at least from here, you need to get a visa and stuff, but when they get there, things they should do, things they shouldn't do and so on. Mm. Well, China has changed in the last 13 years since I've been here. I mean, my first time in China, I thought Oh, it's going to be pagoda field, pagodas and rice fields, but that was not the case. You know, it was all industry and, and smog. It, it, it was not a good experience. But anyway, mm. since then, things have changed a lot. I mean, I've been going to the Canton Fair every year, twice a year in April and October. And the first year I was there in 2005, there was one ATM. There was no McDonald's, no fast food. Uh, and everything was, it was badly organized. Um, but now these days, everything is good. I mean, you have lots of ATMs. Everything is in English. You have Western food. Uh, transportation is very well organized to and from the, the, the exhibition grounds. I mean, that's just the Canton Fair. If, if you're really a first-timer, um, all you really need is, is your visa. Um, prepare business cards, you know, name cards. Um, uh, s s not smooth. Um, loose clothing. I mean, you'll be walking all day at the show. Um, so get some sneakers, but, you know, don't come uh, showing up in shorts and flip-flops, you know, have a bit of professionalism. But other than that, I mean, everyone speaks English at the exhibitions too. Um, people are always concerned, do I need a translator? Do I need an agent? You don't need any of that. Just prepare yourself in advance. Uh, for example, if you go into the Canton Fair, I mean, flights are going directly to Canton, to Guangzhou these days. Um, check out the hotels on agoda.com or expedia.com. All of these hotels have shuttle buses, free shuttle buses to, to and from the exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, inform yourself a little bit about the exhibition. For example, if you're going to phase two of Canton Fair, which is 20-something uh, October until um, middle of October, uh, so, uh, or last week of October, um, they already show you the hall plans. They already show you which suppliers are there. They already tell you, um, okay, hall ABC is, for example, furnitures. So inform yourself a little bit and prepare yourself um, what do you actually want to see. What I constantly do is also I prepare a shopping list for myself. That could be a simple Word file or an Excel file where I put down all my products that I really want to find at the shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, prepare yourself with a good set of questions for the suppliers. For example, um, when you walk into a booth, um, I have like five, six questions that I usually ask. Um, 
does he work with uh, customers in in the markets that I'm selling with? You know, does he have experience with my market? Um, what are his minimum order quantities? You know, can I even work with him in the first place? Um, what are his best-selling items? You know, if if he can tell me five best-selling items that he's selling to the U.S., for example, or Western Europe, I want him to quote those to me. Um, another question would be standard things like, where is your factory located? How many workers do you have? You know, if I get the feeling this is a guy who has like 20 people in his workshop and uh, he's working out of an office, maybe move on to the next supplier because there's thousands of booths at the exhibition. So you don't have a lot of time unless you will be there for five, six days. So, but I usually go like one and a half or two days. So I can already spot um, who are the good on suppliers or not. I mean, if you go into a, uh, in, into a booth and he has towels and furniture and fans and electric heaters he's obviously a big trading company or maybe even a small one and i don't want to work with him because of maybe prices or you know he's got he's a bit of a turkish bazaar but um if you have a supplier who is uh, who is specialized on one or two product ranges you know like sanitary items sanitary furniture he's professional in what he's doing so you know he has the expertise on those items and he's not covering 30 different product categories. Just some of the things that I look for. <laughs> awesome. So when your last question or your last answer brings me to this question, when is it better to use a trade company versus the factory? Is there a scenario for you when that's the case? Uh, I work a lot with trading companies actually. And there is a general misconception that working with trading companies is bad. And all you need to do is you find, you need to find a manufacturer at source, but you know, these days, all of the companies are trading companies in a way. I mean, a factory often claims I'm a factory, but in reality, all they do is they assemble the raw materials that they get from their raw material factories. I've seen it so many times. And because it's not feasible these days anymore to manufacture everything in-house, you know, mm -hmm. painting, metal, um, packaging, uh, metal stamping, maybe, you know, all these things cost a lot of money. and what what we do in the FBA world, you know, we outsource a lot of our tasks and so do the suppliers in China. I mean, they work with uh, so many different suppliers, raw material suppliers, packaging suppliers. They don't do everything in-house anymore. So coming back to the, uh, the main question, when, um, when do you work with a trading company or factory? I mean, if I've been working with a factory for a while, but they're also trading company for other products that maybe are similar to the products that they are making. Uh, you know, I'm happy to tell him, look, um, looking for a remote control. Can you also source that for me? I know it's not your usual thing, but can you source that for me from another factory? And, you know, they have thousands of contacts that I may not even be able to reach. And some factories, they don't want to work together with customers directly. Either, for example, they don't have an export license or they, they have big enough customers, you know, some are, some factories are inaccessible uh, or inaccessible. Um, so it's a, it's a question of, am I happy with my prices? Am I happy with my service? Or, you know, am I having troubles with my trading company? I mean, um, a trading company takes off a lot of things from your shoulder. For example, if the factory doesn't speak any English mm -hmm. and the trading company does speak English and they have a lot of experience with Western companies, and the factory does not have any experience with Western companies, 
I'm happy to work with a trading company, even if that means I paid 20 cents on the product more, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. The English can be a massive thing. Yeah. What do you use, by the way? What tool do you use to actually communicate with suppliers? You Skype? Uh, I Skype. I Skype. I know they, they all want to use WeChat, but um, I hate WeChat for some reason. I don't know. Um, so if I have quick things, I do it through Skype or okay. I often call actually. And if I want to have something in, in written, like, you know, something important, I send an email. Okay. What are some big mistakes that sellers make when reaching out to Chinese suppliers for the very first time. Have you seen this? I have, um, but again, people are getting educated these days. So there's a lot of podcasts, uh, a lot of people like you who, uh, who help a lot of sellers out there. So initially the, the biggest mistake I think was not being professional. Um, like I, a couple of years ago and still today I received emails Hey, I'm interested in your product. Please send me a price. No name, no nothing, no who am I? You know, um, if I'm a supplier and I get this kind of email, I'm not going to respond because if he wants me to act professional and I'm a supplier, I also will want him to act professional. Um, biggest, uh, so communication and being professional on, uh, on emails is one thing. Uh, another thing is, I still see it often not doing any inspections. You know, that's the biggest mistake you can make when, when you first reach out to a supplier. Let me ask you that. Do you do, you do inspections every single time you place an order with the same supplier, the 10th time? Every time, every time. I just posted in my Facebook group um, pictures of my seventh reorder with one of my suppliers, mm -hmm. and he's totally screwed it up. It's not my sales rep who screws up things, you know. It can be the factory worker or... Uh, maybe the factory has recently lost a lot of workers, so they had to hire a lot of new inexperienced workers from some faraway province, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are things, or maybe the, 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 the QA manager in the production had a bad day or the, the, the factory <laughs> manager itself said, guys, we need to save money. Don't tell anyone, but yeah. we're going to use less coating. For example, it's not my sales rep yeah. that I trust. It's, the hierarchies below the sales rep and um, every time to answer your question each and every time every time who do you like to use which inspection companies would you recommend do you have any that you like to rattle off the top of your head i have two i have five or six that i that i have contact with i don't want to actually don't want to give away that one source because he's so cheap but he's so excellent but guys if you want to check it out uh, it's efficient inspection chinaqualitycheck.com uh, he charges a hundred dollar. Uh, I have no affiliation with him. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, he's that good. I mean, he, he sends you a 25, 30 pages report and he charges a hundred dollar. I mean, if it's some far away location, then they charge more. Mm. Uh, the other companies that I use for more complicated, maybe electrical items, I use asiainspection.com. Um, and for really, really, you know, if it may be chemical or if it's a baby or children's product, I usually use SGS or TUV suit. Those are the big European um, third-party companies. Okay, very cool. All right, I'll end this on one question for you specifically. If you can go back, you've been in this uh, at this, what, 13 years? Is that right? Um, 13 years in China and uh, 19 years since, 19 years uh, when I started, yeah, more or less. Well, if you could go back, let's say at the point where you were starting the whole Amazon business venture and you could talk to yourself, what advice would you give yourself? Don't go into Bluetooth speakers, garlic <laughs> presses. Um, <laughs> garlic presses. I, I guess 
I was afraid a lot in the beginning mm-hmm. to invest my own money. Okay. Um, but that's just the way it is. You know, this is the business model. You have to invest money yeah. uh, in order to make money. But even so, it's just a, a, ti- a tiny amount. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, a tiny amount is $3,000. But I usually start my orders with could be 8,000, 15,000 US dollar because I usually go ahead with a thousand units. Mm. But I would tell myself not to be so afraid because um, if you have the right marketing, if you have the, the drive to, to get there, you know, to make those 20 sales a day, you can make it unless you are selling garlic presses or Bluetooth speakers. Um, but if, if you're listening to Manny's podcast, if you follow his advice on, <laughs> on promotions, marketing and so on, I mean, you can do it. Just do proper research, but don't be afraid too much to invest. You know, um, it's going to work out eventually. And the worst case that really happens is I sell at cost. Uh, even if that's really low, I sometimes sell at cost or, or lose some money. But that's the risk you have to take as an entrepreneur, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'd love to have you back on and uh, cause I can probably have another 10, 15 questions to ask you that we can go into in depth. Cause these are all great. You have a service that helps people if they're looking for, is it a sourcing agent or, or ways to actually find products or tell us a little bit about that and the best way to reach you. Sure. Um, the company is called asiainvest.com. Um, people can reach us at uh, through the contact page or at um, info at asiainvest.com. So what we do is um, we source for e-commerce sellers, uh, Amazon sellers, uh, Shopify sellers, um, because we've been in China for th- 13 years. My team is local Chinese. Uh, we also have one Western uh, general manager there. So what we do is we've collected a, uh, a file of over 3000 suppliers now. And those are suppliers that we trust, that we worked with together, that we met in person or that come with a very high recommendation. So if you, for example, are looking for a, um, a new speaker or a headset or whatever, or any product category except textile, um, uh, sorry, leather, we're not that great, but we source any product category. We go into our database of 10, 15, 30 suppliers in each product category. Um, we email them, we filter them out, we vet them for you, and uh, we'll send you the report after a couple of days. And you can contact suppliers yourself um, and take it from there. Or you can also hire us to do you know, the entire full sourcing from sourcing to Amazon's warehouse. We take care of that too. Everything. Okay. And then typically, can, they, uh, can a person or a company get a better rate going through you than they would if they went directly on Alibaba and tried to do it themselves? Um, we don't pride ourselves with getting the cheapest prices. We want to find the supplier that is the most suitable for you. You know, if you have very high requirements and you want that manufacturer to fulfill your requirements, maybe the supplier we have is 20 cent more expensive than the one you find on Alibaba, mm-hmm. but at least he's the one who can actually help you because Alibaba is a lot of click and bait. Also, uh, we forgot to mention that earlier. You know, you, he, he quotes you a price on the site for $5, and then you come with packaging, you want FDA certification, and then all of a sudden your price is at $8, you know? Uh, and that, and, and that's maybe at the point when you're ready to place the order. What we do for our clients is we check, uh, for example, if you tell me now, um, I'm looking for this and this certification, this packaging, this accessory, we go in and find the right suitable supplier right away, and we'll give you a final price. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's more expensive than what you found on Alibaba, but at least it's the final price. And of course we do some more negotiation for you, but there's no, um, 
there's no more obstacles in the way. I mean, um, we have we have it all negotiated for you already. Okay. And sometimes we we find very good prices. I mean, it's not like we <laughs> we don't look for good prices. You yeah, know? I absolutely agree with you. I would rather spend. 50 cents more on a particular product unit and make sure that it's high quality, that I'm going to be getting four and five star reviews nonstop, that the returns aren't going to be very high because of damaged units, that you have a frustration-free experience because it can drive you nuts when deadlines are missed or there's problems at the you know while importing it. But one last question, actually. People right now, they're asking, what's the final deadline for Christmas? Is there still time for people to get in? If you do some air shipment and if you don't, if you have a very simple off the shelf product, you may be able to do it. But keep in mind now it's uh, public holidays in China. Um, end of October, there's another week of holidays, you know, and everyone wants to get his product out before Christmas and maybe even before Chinese New Year. I think now is even almost too late to ship out before Chinese New Year. Mm. So, but unless you have a very simple item, um, white box packaging, 500 units, air shipment, could be possible. Could be. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Like I said, I, I definitely want to have you come back on. We're going to stay in touch. I want to use your service so I can report back uh, on how it all works. I think that'll be really cool. Thank you for getting up so early. And yeah, we'll talk real soon. You've been listening to the AM PM podcast hosted by Manny Coates. For more information, insider, insider tools, tools, and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit ampmpodcast.com.